Morning, everybody. Why don't we pray? Father God, thank you so much for the great and wonderful privilege to be together on this warm day, enjoying either the even more warm fellowship of being with your people. So bless us as we sit and contemplate your word and what you are teaching us in it. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Kieran mentioned, my name is David and I work for CMS. Now there are some of you that I recognize and even fewer um, whose names I remember because I have been, uh, it seems to be a few times, quite a few times now, but in I, there are many of you that I don't recognize and I don't know. So name's David. I work for CMS Church Missionary Society. We are an organization who, in partnership with local churches, sends missionaries. That's, that's our core business. I do have uh, uh, the latest copies of some of our material in the, the hall next door, which I'd love you to take to learn something more about CMS. And, uh, and if you're somebody who... Um, has seen me a few times before and are still not on a CMS mailing list, I can assure you there's nothing to be gained by keeping your name off our mailing list and um, not receiving anything from us to be encouraged and to pray for us. So please, um, I do have a couple of clipboards there. One of the things I've been enjoying uh, recently over this week is uh, having a look at the tennis. I don't know if there are any tennis watchers uh, of the Australian Open. And uh, I enjoy watching the celebrations of players as they uh, try to energize themselves, as they win points or uh, win games, win sets, um, f- sometimes from the very taciturn right through to screaming and fist bumps and running and jumping, and of course, right through to a whole stadium uh, uh, screaming and in- seeking to encourage any particular Aussie who might be. Uh, almost winning a game. So I enjoy those celebrations. I also enjoyed uh, having a look at uh, um, last year in December, seeing how the nation of Argentina celebrated the winning of the World Cup and uh, welcoming the arrival of the team and the World Cup back to Buenos Aires. Apparently, uh, the one of the flight uh, tracking websites uh, was brought close to breaking point as everyone was wanting to see where, where the plane exactly is and how long it was going to be before it landed. And the, the streets of Buenos Aires swelled to probably more than 4 million people as, as they wanted to welcome their team back. And the bus tour that was organized to uh, display the team uh, to everybody had to be cancelled. After a few hours of crawling, trying to push through the crowds, uh, they couldn't do it anymore, so they had to call it off and make it a helicopter tour instead. <laughs> Maybe you've had a, a celebration on a, a, uh, on a similar scale or a smaller scale or for the arrival of something or someone. Uh, our daughter, who was on an exchange uh, a few years ago uh, to Germany when she arrived back, we celebrated in a wild and raucous way by ordering pizzas. <laughs> now, Psalm 96 is the celebration also of an, uh, of an arrival of a different kind. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 96 a little bit more closely. 
I strongly encourage you to keep your Bible open on page 4, if you've got a church Bible, page 497. Thank you, Kieran. 479 for those who are numerically dyslexic. Um, So who or what has arrived in Psalm 96? To understand, we turn the clock back to a thousand years before Jesus was born, approximately, and the the king of the nation of Israel was David. And one of the things he did early in his reign was establish a capital city. He captured a a citadel of the Jebusites, and uh, he made that his capital. That was Jerusalem. Uh, but there was a problem because the place where the people of God were worshipping at that stage was Shiloh, uh, which was about 50 kilometers away. And where they worshipped was at the so-called tent of meeting. And the tent, in the tent of meeting was the box that contained the Ten Commandments, also known as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, David felt it would be inappropriate that God should be worshipped anywhere else other than in his capital city, And David wanted to consolidate his kingdom and consolidate the worship of God, um, um, wanted to bring the tent of the meeting and the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And so with massive arrangements and pomp and ceremony, and not without a little disaster, uh, it was arranged that the Ark should be brought in. And Psalm 96 is one of the pieces of music or the songs of praise written by either David or his professional musos for this very, very special occasion. And we know this because, and this is your homework, to look in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, you will find Psalm 96 repeated almost verbatim. And 1 Chronicles 16 is when it is described how the ark was moved from Shiloh to Jerusalem. Now, why should this event be of such importance? Well, this box, this ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. It was sometimes known as the the footstool of his throne. So as you you moved the footstool of God's throne into into Jerusalem, what you were doing in effect was uh, moving God into Jerusalem. So Psalm 96 is a song of worship in response to God's arrival in the new capital city, Jerusalem. So there are so many rich ideas Interwoven in Psalm 96, and I thought for that something that was helpful for me was uh, crystallizing these ideas into three, which are uh, start with W. So we've got it's a song of worship. So worship why, worship what, and worship who. So if you get lost, you start daydreaming. We're on those three. We're with those three uh, topics: worship why, worship what, worship who. Firstly, worship why. Why should God be worshipped? Well, there's so many reasons, as I said, but I'm going to draw out three reasons as to why God, according to the psalm, should be worshipped. Firstly, because he's God. He's really God. If you run your eyes down, starting from verse 1, uh, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And if you look at the word Lord, you'll see it's in capital letters. And I counted 11 repetitions of Lord. And so the reason it's in capital letters is because it represents uh, the, the name that God revealed to be his name 
to Moses. And it's sometimes, we sometimes say in English as Yahweh, and it could mean I am who I am. So the Lord expresses that it's the unique God who has revealed himself in the Bible and who, uh, who acts in the world. He's not the guy upstairs or someone up there. Uh, he's not one of the many gods who are worshipped by the nations, but he's the real unique God who's revealed himself with power to Moses. And, and so uh, the ideas that build on the uniqueness and majesty of God are, are throughout the psalm. For example, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. He is unimaginably great. Verse 4, great is the Lord. He is the creator. Uh, he's, not the, he's not one of the idols, but he's made the heavens. Verse 6. He is, so, sorry, that's verse 5. Verse 6. Uh, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his strength, are in his sanctuary. He's strong. He's almighty. Verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. Or in other Bibles, the Lord reigns. He's not king like a constitutional monarch who doesn't really have any power like Charles, but he actually exercises power. He is the Lord. All of these things make him God, real God. He really exists. He's really revealed himself. What should we do other than worship him? So that's he's really God. The second why? Well, he's a saving God. Have a look at verse 2 and verse 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day. It's like one of the very first things that we are told about in this psalm. The God, that God, the Lord, is a God who saves, who rescues. Uh, God had saved the nation of Israel from the very beginning of their existence as a nation, from the clutches of Egypt from slavery and drudgery, and he'd miraculously brought them into a land that he gave them. And he'd saved and rescued them again and again throughout their history. Their very identity of the people rested on the fact that they had been rescued by God. And so the arrival of this God in this city, which was formerly a citadel of the enemies of God, was seen as a culmination of the saving work that had been gone, had begun when God took them out of Egypt. Um, it was like the cherry on the cake. And, of course, they were continuing to look for the salvation of God. So that's a second reason why he should be worshipped, because he's a saving or rescuing God. Thirdly, he's a just and fair God. Look in verse 10. It says, Say among the nations... The Lord is king, the world is firmly established, it shall never be moved, he will judge the peoples with equity. Verse 13, if you jump down a little bit, the Lord is coming, he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The nation of Israel knew that life was unfair, life was painful, and they knew that they as a nation were vulnerable. And they knew that the judgments of even their own rulers were flawed and weak and temporary at best. 
So they are celebrating that there is one who judges fairly and who judges effectively. And that is God himself, the Lord. And he, in fact, is coming and he will put things right. All the things that continue to be unfair and painful. He's a God who judges. He's a God who rescues. He is truly God. That's why we should worship him. Secondly, worship what? What might worship look like? Um, This is part of the main reason for the urgings of this psalm. The psalm starts with three commands to sing. Oh, sing to the Lord, a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day. Singing seems to be a universal way of expressing something's worth, something's value. That's why nations have national anthems, uh, musical and lyrical expressions of the worth of that nation and the worth and the pride of being part of that nation. And the purpose of those songs is not only to honor the country, but also lift the citizens, the spirits of the citizens of that country with joy and pride. So this psalm commands and commends the singing of praise to God. And it seems obvious, even as I read it, there's a crescendo, there's an increasing of loudness and energy. um, That It's not a kind of dirge or miserable song that's being urged, but songs of joy. What a privilege to sing in church every week. What a privilege we have uh, uh, um, with people who have musical gifts and the willingness to serve us in that way so that we can lift our spirits as we sing. Thank you, musicians. Very interestingly, we are told in verse 1 to sing a new song. We didn't sing new songs this morning. This was a new song written, as I've said. Um, But as we know, throughout the history of the world, new songs have been been composed throughout the ages to continue to attempt to plumb the depths of expressing the value and worth of God. But the songs we sing don't have to be new every time, but our participation of the truth that the song expresses should be new. And that's a rebuke to me as I often go through the motions, sometimes find myself mouthing the words of a song or mouthing part of the liturgy that we have, instead of being fully and energetically and joyfully engaged in who and what I'm singing. So singing is an appropriate expression of worship. Secondly, speaking. Look in verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day from day to day. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord is king. Just like a sermon might be a proclamation about truth, and songs are, of course, expressions of uh, of. of the value of God, normal conversation can and must be an expression of who God is and his worth and what he's done and what he continues to do. 
verses 7 to 8 have another little crescendo. I don't know if you noticed them, noticed it. Verse 7 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Ascribe just means give. Um, I like simple words. In a normal conversation, we can give God honor. For any great achievement, for anything you might have done, you can give God honor for the skills for that. For any beautiful part of creation or any wonderful relationship, these are gifts of God. God gave them. Uh, glory can be ascribed to him. I was privileged this last week to go to the Jinjin Observatory. What a wonderful um, experience of the magnitude of the things that God have created. But how tragic that glory was never once ascribed to him for the galaxies that he created with his fingers. So speaking is an appropriate expression of worship. Thirdly, have a look in verse 4. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all God. In other Bibles it says he is to be feared above all gods. Verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him, all the earth. I'm not sure of the last time I trembled. I think it was when I was walking to somebody's uh, front door and found myself face to face with their Rottweiler growling. And I was trembling. And the Rottweiler was making it very clear what it wanted. It wanted me gone. Maybe it wanted a meal too. So I obeyed what that dog wanted very carefully, walking backwards, keeping my eye on the dog. I walked slowly backwards away from the door. I did exactly what the dog wanted me to do. Uh, What does the psalm uh, mean? How do we apply this trembling and fear that the psalm commands um, we, you know, we are often we are not comfortable with the idea of fearing God, um, and 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 this is right in a way if we are in Christ, because we no longer need to fear God's judgment and God's anger um, because of what Jesus has done. But if we reject God's lordship, or we find ourselves blatantly sinning, then we have every reason to fear. So how are we to express trembling and fear? Well, with the certainty of who God is and the certainty of how he's revealed himself to us in his word, we tremble and fear by obeying what he said. We tremble and fear by obeying what God has said to us. So what are expressions of worship in the psalm? Celebratory singing, declaratory speaking, and trembling obedience. So the first W was worship why. Why should we worship God? We've seen what appropriate, what appropriate expressions of worship might look like. This brings us to the final W. Who? Who should worship? Well, obviously, this is a psalm of worship for God's people 
as God came into, the, came into Jerusalem. It was to be sung by the Israelites as they lined the roads. And of course, everybody that belongs to God by faith in Jesus is commanded to worship in the way that we've seen. Everybody who trusts in his son. So if you somebody who trusts in Jesus, you are commanded to worship God by your singing, by your, your speaking and your obedience. But there's a second who that's very, very obvious in this psalm. And it's the nations themselves. The nations are commanded to worship God. And when God speaks about when the Bible speaks about the nations, it means all the groups of people who do not yet know him, who do not yet belong to him. So have a look at just uh, uh, two of these examples. Look in verse one. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Look in verse seven to verse nine. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Spurgeon calls this psalm a grand missionary hymn because it is a profound expression that God wants worship from every people, every language group, every tribe. God wants everyone, every, everywhere to worship him forever. But there is a small problem in telling the nations to come and worship, as we saw in verse 7 and verse 8, and verse 9, sorry, verse 8, we, we see that the nations are told to bring an offering and come into his courts. Now the Israelites could do that. They could bring their offerings, which were constant reminders that uh, they had committed sin and that they could not approach God without shedding blood. But how were the nations to approach? Because the nations weren't allowed anywhere near the, 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 the altar and they couldn't bring offerings. Yet the psalm commands them to. And we know that the answer is in the only one who truly expressed trembling obedience to God the Father. The only one who was worthy to offer himself as a sufficient sacrificial substitute for sin. The one who is risen from the dead and has the authority to command what we read in, the, in, in Matthew's gospel. That's Jesus That's how the nations are going to bring an offering, by trusting in the offering that he brought. So it's through him that we, because we are actually part of the nations, worship. It's through him that we can actually obey the words of this psalm. It's through Jesus uh, that we see God's salvation in the most complete and profound way. It's through Jesus that we see God judging sin. It's through, and it's through Jesus that we know God will judge the world in righteousness. And we can celebrate as well. We can celebrate in our songs, not God coming to a city far away on top of a box, but actually arriving in the world in the form of a human being, Jesus And that's why CMS's vision is a world that knows Jesus. And that's why I'm 
always encouraged to take up an invitation to come and uh, open the Bible with you. And just to flag, I, will go, I am going to be writing to the parish council to say we have some new missionaries that God seems to be raising up, and I'd love St. Philip's to partner with them. So get on the backs of your parish councillors and, and get them to say, yes. So Psalm 96 teaches us why we should worship God, what our worship might look like, and who should worship. Argentina might be waking up from their party and realizing that despite the fact that their team is home, the World Cup is there, that nothing has changed, um, life is still the same, and the deep problems of their country are still there. But we know that the world has changed. Everything has changed. God has arrived in King Jesus. And through him, God has shown us his glory, his majesty, his salvation, his judgment. So let's continue to express our trembling obedience um, with the first singers of this song by trusting Jesus, obeying his commands, and declaring his glory among the nations.